Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's called Mad Sounds. One goes out to Mr. Alan Smile. Welcome to another edition of the Mad Sounds podcast. My name is Will Sparks and I'm joined by Matt Maynard. How are you, Matt? Very good, mate. I'm very excited um, to share this episode of The Record Store. You're smiling. I'm smiling. That was, I mean, first of all, what a guest. Um, We just recorded with Matt Horn, um, obviously starred most notably of Gavin and Stacey, uh, and he's brought three albums on with him to talk about his three favourite albums of all time, um, in in his words. Uh, And First of all, like the knowledge, unbelievable. Um, he, he said yeah. he hasn't been on Desert Island Discs yet. My question, get him, my, on. My, get him on, get book him in. Like it's better than so many other guests they have. Knows so much about these albums, and also is really insightful about his his journey through music. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, he picked. Uh, well, I think it was quite interesting because we were talking about the little transition, but he had between liking rock music and Britpop, um, and then moving into electronic music and techno, which he likes now. And that all came from these three albums in yeah. the 90s that are kind of a bit of a hybrid of, of all of those, of those genres. Um, so, yeah, we, we started we, with Maxine Quay by Tricky, which was a, a Mercury winner. Yeah, um, Mercury Prize winner. winner yeah. Um, yeah, m- multiple five-star reviews, you know, um, Q. Oh, it's just so much critical acclaim. Um, and he was, at, Tricky was actually part of uh, Massive Attack. So you can kind of hear that kind of, that sound in there but also those really uh what was it he called it like glitchy beats yeah but that's what that sort of like trippy fusion um that that was infused in the record um and the glitch and and, and, and talking of glitchy beats the second album that he 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 talked about was homogenic by bjork uh which i guess widely uh widely appreciated as maybe her her best album um but such a a wide musical repertoire bjork's got and i think this was maybe seen as a bit of a not a departure but maybe a a more experimental one uh but as i say matt so knowledgeable on this one and his and his um, his love of bjork um third up one we were really excited to get stuck into kid a by radiohead um it's such an amazing album and like 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 we mentioned when we get onto the interview with matt just divided opinion so much of the time but i think grown to be such a such a classic and such a favorite well exactly it was one of those wasn't it when it came out people just i think were pretty shocked and we spoke to tim stillman about it who was another big fan and he kind of likes his electronic music and i wonder how i would have reacted if i was a bit younger i'm I'm not sure i would have i would have loved it particularly but it's it's for me one that i've discovered later in my loving of radiohead as well and grown to like and i think it's a song of yeah. so many great songs i wouldn't say that it's you know it, it's ranking in my top three or four radiohead albums but it for me does still have sort of six or seven amazing tracks on it yeah it's weird that like albums you get and you instantly have a bit of confrontation with and you don't really get into are often some the ones that you you go later on down the line and you think i don't know actually i do quite like this whereas there are some albums you you just sort of met about and then you never really listen to again but this certainly certainly isn't one of them um 
a bit of housekeeping as usual. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at the Mad Sounds Pod. We're uh, rapidly growing with our number. We're nearly at 300 now, landmark. Uh, so get following there. Uh, more importantly, if you're listening on Spotify right now, you can click the follow button and you'll get the latest episode straight to your phone when, when it's put up. And you can do the same with Apple, but on Apple, you just have to click subscribe. We have also got ACAST supporter enabled. The wonderful people at ACAST have enabled this for podcasters in a time where, you know, uh, job security is, is, is quite shaky and people are looking for more creative ways to make a bit of money. So you can make a one-off pledge, um, anything from a pound upwards. Um, and if you are able to, that, that'd be most appreciated. Um, you know, I guess we do this for free and we put a lot of time researching it. So anything's appreciated and we do really appreciate you listening every week enough of me talking as usual here is matt horn uh, matt thanks so much for coming on the podcast first of all just before we jump into the albums you've brought along with uh, with you to talk about today first of all who, who would you say has influenced your music taste the most was it a family affair or was it all through just discovering your own stuff and being a bit more independent um, I guess it's a combination of both, actually, which um, sounds very non-committal. But um, my, both my mother and father, well, my mother was uh, a big music fan, and she gave me the first two um, Pet Shop Boys albums, Please and Actually, uh, on vinyl when I was very young. My dad's like uh, an Elvis nut. <laughs> He's one of those Elvis nuts. And uh, although I, I'm not... I don't share that passion for Elvis Presley. Um, I think I share the passion for music that my parents had. But uh, I very much feel like I sort of discovered music or the music that I like myself independently of them. Um, so, you know, I was brought up on sort of Elvis and Pet Shop Boys, Dire Straits and Cliff Richard. Um, and then it was about when I think I was 10 or 11 that I kind of discovered my first album that was I suppose that shaped my music taste which was um the album Schubert Dip by EMF um right. and uh I think that really was the cassette that uh, <laughs> the start of my journey into music really and what what music are you listening to at the moment is there are there any new bands or artists catching your eye or do you prefer rediscovery um the stuff I mainly listen to at the moment is techno. Now, that's really because there's really, really good techno around at the moment, in my opinion. And it wasn't until my late teens that I sort of discovered techno, really, um, or, or any kind of electronic music, I suppose, or dance music. But in the last couple of years, um, people like Daniel Avery and John Hopkins have really piqued my interest in techno again i've always always been there um but i feel like people like dan avery and john and uh, nathan fake um they're making techno that is in heavily influenced by techno that was being made when i first discovered it so it's sort of like they're influenced by by the music or the, that, that genre of music that was um, coming into, uh, into my sphere, if you like. Sure. So, you know, Dan Avery's album before the, the one that's out now, Song for Alpha, which is very, very close to being in my top three of all time. It's, it's very heavily influenced by Richie Horton's work in the 90s under the Plastic Man moniker. 
And that for me, that, that trio of albums, the um, Artifacts BC music and Sheep One uh, by Plastic Man were just incredible to me. They were just works of art in terms of minimalist techno. Well, you haven't, you haven't chosen all techno albums today at all. No, I haven't. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna open up with the first album you chose, which is um, Maxine Quay by Tricky, which was released in 1995. Yeah. Um, so first of all, let's just ask why have you chosen this album? Um, it, I think it was the first album that. Um, I know, firstly, it's it's kind of hard doing these things um, because, as you will have uh, experienced, it's very hard to um, elucidate on why you like something beyond saying, I just really like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like very, very <laughs> difficult to be any more erudite than that. I shall try. It's, I think really is the first album I remember where when it had finished, I had to just go back to the start and play it again. Mm. And then when that had finished, I'd have to go back to the start and play it again. There was a sort of addiction to the sequencing of the album um, I mean, that, that's, you know, above and beyond just it being a brilliantly produced, very sexy, um, fantastically thought through uh, album. You know, it, it's just um, the w- wonderful beats and influences from all different genres that I just thought after having left Massive Attack, Tricky really just won the game with that album. Yeah. Um, Were you, it's, it's difficult oh, to... Yeah to talk about the album without talking about Martina Topley Bird's input into that. I mean, you don't actually hear Tricky rapping uh, until midway through Overcome was the first song, I think. It's all about Martina Topley Bird and her vocal. Yeah. And Tricky's beat production, um, really dubby. And yeah, as I said, kind of very sexy, very sexy album. And just one that I got addicted to and I just needed to keep playing. Uh, and I don't really remember an album for me being like that before before that. Is it something um, you still play a lot now? No, I don't play it a lot now. Um, I think there is a tendency to overplay stuff that you really, really love. And I know that it'll come round again. And I will get it. I did listen to it today ahead of the podcast. And it is absolutely brilliant. And... Um, by far his best work, although he has made some really, really good stuff. He's quite a prolific man. Um, but that, for me, it was just a masterpiece. And, you know, it's not an uncommon thought that uh, it, it did do very well. I mean, I think it won the Mercury. And, uh, yeah. won lots of awards. And it, it's, just a, um, it's just a perfect album, really. It's a masterpiece of an album for me. And are you into Massive Attack at all? I mean, Tricky was an early collaborator with them. And he said he, he sort of won the game by producing that album. I think there was a, there was a disagreement between offering to do the song, wanting to do a certain song. Uh, do you know what? I really only came to Massive Attack after Mezzanine when, um, yeah. you know, everybody, all couples fell in love with it because the, they used to claim they had sex to that album. Um, Blue Lines for me, I wasn't really that fussed about. I, I thought it was okay. Um, it wasn't really my thing, but it was mezzanine. And, but particularly, and this was, this was actually, um, it was a toss up between the album that I've chosen for my third album uh, of all time and, and 100th Window when 
Tricky had left and Mushroom had left and it was just Robert Del Nausea. Um, I think that is a masterpiece album and I kind of feel like that maybe should have been in my top three, but the, the third choice was very, very difficult. Well, uh, one yeah. thing we, we often ask the people on this show is, where does the album take you back to? Is it quite yeah. nostalgic, you know? Uh, and is that, is that you, you've nodded there. It sounds like that maybe there's a, there's a good answer coming here. Well, I think it's a really interesting question. And um, it's when I was listening to the albums today ahead of the podcast, I just thought, you know, what is this, what is this doing to me? Where is this taking me? Because, of course, music is incredibly evocative and uh, um, it can be quite nostalgic. Now, I'm not really one for nostalgia. I find it quite... Um, I get quite squeamish about nostalgia. So it doesn't necessarily take me back to any particular happy place or anything like that. It doesn't necessarily remind me of a particular time or space or feeling. But it's interesting that the three albums I've chosen were all made within a, I think, probably seven year period. Um, And that happened to be my sort of late teens So I suppose what that would suggest to me is that that's when I was, you know, formulating my taste as an adult, as a young adult, you know. Um, So, yeah, and and it's it's interesting that all of them have a slightly electronic influence where sort of pre-70, before I was 70, so in 1997 when I went to university, yeah, I guess that's when I started to listen to electronic music whereas before that it was just Britpop you know it was right. guitar Britpop in the 90s and, and American grunge you know Nirvana and Pearl Jam and um, that sort of thing and Rage Rage Against the Machine and then I started to listen to a lot more electronic music um, starting with Orbital really and then that took me into all sorts of places and then I think well the three albums I've chosen sort of marry rock and yeah um in quite an interesting way and that must be i just think it's a point where i formed my taste i suppose yeah which makes it incredibly important so the next one you've picked um what the year you went to university in 1997 this album was released it's uh, homogenic by bjork uh, mm-hmm. and widely considered by if you in the critic in the music discourse whatever you want to call it to be her greatest album mm-hmm. um do you think it's her greatest album Hmm. Well, I mean, another interesting question, because I, I was, I mean, I've never done Desert Island Discs, um, but I've always found it fascinating because, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a really key distinction between what you think, it, what, what is your favourite albums or songs of all time, but, and what are the best songs yeah, and albums of all time? It's a really difficult thing to get your head around. Yes. Of doing... Um, things like this. Um, so Homogenic is my favorite album. Is it her most musically accomplished? Probably Vespertine is. But I particularly like Homogenic because I like the input that Mark Bell had on it. Um, the very, very skitty, electronic, glitchy beats, um, uh, I think really appealed to me at that time and still does. I was particularly obsessed with Bjork when that came out. And I remember waiting for her outside um, Manchester Apollo to sign my, my vinyls. Yeah. Um, I waited for hours and she did. And it was a great gig. And uh, 
I've seen her many times, and I think that was probably my favourite because Mark Bell was playing with her live, um, who's now sadly passed away. Um, but yes, I do think it's it's my favourite album of hers. Yeah, and very important. I've also got a sort of I'm a bit of a Scandifile. I love Iceland and all things Scandinavian. I sort of love her. So <laughs> I think she's. I think she's up there with um, people like Aphex Twin and Tom York as mm. for me, our living legends, our modern day geniuses. Um, you know, I would put all three of those people on a par with David Bowie. So, yeah. yeah that's good to get some color in there, your musical uh, taste, Will. You just, t- you just touched on um, just a bit earlier there about everyone being into Britpop and all of these albums, I guess in the third one, which we'll come on to, came out a, a tad after the, the, first, the big wave of Britpop. But yeah. the first two, 95 and 97, were the release dates respectively. Did, did you find it hard to veer away from liking Britpop because of, I don't know, something like sh- just simply like street cred or just uh, the fact everyone being into it and the fact that, it was sort of seen if you weren't into it. It had taken over everything in music, really, until maybe a Radiohead had come along. I mean, it had in this country, but I mean, we, as a, I mean, it was such a community thing, the Britpop movement. It was huge, it was huge, and you didn't really realize at the time. It defined everything culturally, from um, fashion to art, to TV shows. Um, you know, it really, that movement was very, very important for British culture. And simultaneously in the States, Nirvana and the grunge movement was kind of happening as well. And that kind of, for me, of that generation sort of ran in tandem. And it, it felt very important to be part of that. That's not to say it wasn't authentic, because I think genuinely there were brilliant albums made by brilliant bands during the Britpop era. But there were also some bad albums. <laughs> and there were some people who jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, but for me, it was a very exciting time. You know, I saw Oasis before Definitely Maybe came out. And, you know, wow. these, looking back, these, these moments are really, really special and really, really important. But with Radiohead, they, for me, were, were part of that movement. Because Pablo Honey and the Benz was out during yeah. that early 90s period. And they still felt very part of, like I saw Radiohead at Rock City in Nottingham where I saw Shed Seven and Long Pigs and Blur and blah, blah, blah. And David Bowie, in fact. But it, that was like my Britpop venue. So, uh, you know, I think I saw Supergrass and Radiohead in, in the same week uh, at, at Rock City. So, yeah, it did feel very a very important part of my upbringing. Um, and so embracing... Daft Punk and uh, Basement Jacks uh, felt odd, but um, also I've always had quite a an open mind, really. Yeah, we'll talk until now when I only listen to techno. <laughs> of that open mind, how open was your mind when this album by Bjork came out in '97? Was it one that it felt natural to to, to like because you were already into Bjork? Or yeah, I mean, I wasn't particularly into Sugar Cubes, uh, sort right. of uh, slightly before me, but. I loved her first album, uh, her first two albums. Um, it's Homogenic was her third, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I loved her first two albums, but Homogenic for me, it really just, 
it really just um, pinpointed everything I love about Bjork in one album. And as I said, those kind of very raw, glitchy beats. Yeah. I think glitchy is the, word, the perfect word for it. It's when you listen to the record, it sounds like it's trying to keep up with the next, the next beat or the next yeah, note. Which, Brilliant. Which, is, but, which is very exciting. And it's something actually that uh, John Hopkins does very well and Jamie XX do very well in like keeping you hooked because it's, you're, just, you're just catching up. So yeah, Absolutely. that appeals to my taste. <laughs> and, 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 you know, maybe developed some of your taste as well that came after Almost it. Almost certainly. Yeah. Almost certainly, yeah. yeah. So the third choice you've gone for um, is Kid A by Radiohead, you just mm. touched on. Uh, this is their fourth album. And in, t- in terms of reception at the time, was probably, I mean, most Radiohead, fa- Radiohead fans are quite shocked given what come in the past three albums. Were you shocked, but also sort of really, really happy? Because you, ma- you mentioned earlier that fusion between electronic and rock. And th- there's probably no other album that does it better than this one. And no, the, no. The, band, the band to carry it as well. I mean, that's why I've chosen Kid A, really. I mean, Kid A is probably my favourite album of all time. I mean, I've got uh, quite a lot to say about it. Um, it. I know it. it was badly received, and I re- distinctly remember listening to it with my friend in his car for the first time on the day of its release, and I hated it. Um, because I just felt it was so derivative of... It just sounded like Tom York had gone out and bought a load of Aphex Twin records. And... And I'm not a huge fan of jazz. So when the national anthem started, I thought, oh dear, this is just dreadful. Especially off the back of OK Computer, which is, you know, undoubtedly lauded and uh, an undoubtedly brilliant album. But I then kind of gave it a few more listens and it it very quickly became my favourite album of all time and my favourite Radiohead album. Although I'm not sure that it's their best. It's my favourite because it does... It, it perfectly fused at the time, the two different genres. Well, it, 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 it combined many different genres. But for me, the overarching thing, as you say, was that there was electronica and there was rock. And um, I was listening to a lot of Aphex Twin and sort of late 90s, early 90s electronica, ambient electronica, the Warp were releasing, all that kind of stuff. And but also the brilliant songwriting and uh, rockiness that Radiohead had embodied for the, the previous albums. It's just, and also it's got Idiotech on it and that's just... <laughs> that is an amazing... greatest song. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if it's their best album. I think that's, uh, that's the debate that will go on for many years, but it's certainly my favourite and it's very, very important to me. It just, it seems like it's that album that kind of landed for me at absolutely the right time once I'd got over the first listen. Should we get it? As you say, it was a huge shock because it just felt like they were being really derivative. But actually, I think for bands to have any longevity, you have to reinvent yourself yeah. or you have to explore other directions. Um, otherwise, you just stagnate and end up um, kind of repeating history. And I think that's why Radiohead will continue to make music until they decide they're rich enough. Um, whereas a lot of bands pack in after, you know, three albums. Yeah. Um, if, if we're going to get that debate out of the way, then where would you say... What is the best album? Is it is it OK Computer or In Rainbows? 
basically, is what you're left with. It's neither of them, Matt. It's the Benz. <laughs> you know that. Um, it's probably... Well, the, it would be in rainbows for me, but it's probably OK Computer, isn't it? There we go. This, but those I, are the two I, I prefer in rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I prefer Kid A over all of them. Yeah. When In Rainbows came out, did you what? What did you pay for it? Can you remember? Uh, Eleven pounds. Let, nice, nice. Re, 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 <laughs> retail price, RRP. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Not one yeah. of the one. Not one of the one p cheapskates. I like to hear that. <laughs> um, so I was just looking at looking at Radiohead set list stats, and they obviously hold it in really high esteem because Sonic Idiotech there national anthem they're both in the top 15 of all time that they played live and that album came out obviously you know that was their fourth album so it shows how high how high they hold it how, they, must, they must play everything in its right place every time they play live that, as well. that, that's their top that's in the top 10 as well yeah, yeah that's I love that song. the only one in the top 10 i think street spirits their top overall but um have you how, how many times have you seen radiohead live five nice Good. solid yeah yeah. Solid, a solid five. <laughs> you, you said you saw them really early on as well. Yeah, I saw them in 1995, the Benz tour. Nice. Yeah. Um, we had a previous guest on who picked in Rainbows as, as an album. Um, he wasn't a massive fan of, of the most recent two albums. Um, so I just wondered if, if that, did you see those as sort of them losing it a bit at all? Or are you. Are you... Well, what was the album before Moonshape Pool? Was it King, ha- of King of Limbs? King of Limbs. Now, I did like King of Limbs very much. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Moon, Moonshape Pool, but I think there's a track on Moonshape Pool called Full Stop, yep. which is probably, after Idiotech, my favourite Radiohead song of all time. So it's hard. I don't think it's a... It's not my favourite album of theirs. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly not in my top three of theirs, but that track, well, I love that. They also did Spectre, which was um, lined up to be the James Bond theme, and yeah. they, they, which is an amazing track, and they ditched mm. it. I think they gave it to Sam Smith in the end. But yeah. I was really, really yeah. disappointed. I remember sitting in the cinema being a bit disappointed. <laughs> I wasn't listening, listening to a Radiohead track before um, he, I don't know, some car chase or something like that. But, um, well, it's funny. Yeah, I, mean, I think my favourite song that Tom York's ever written is Hearing Damage, which he wrote, which he wrote and produced for um, the Twilight film. <laughs> but I think it's a magnificent record. Yeah, um, yeah, another interesting genius. link is that Tom York cites Bjork as such a huge, you know, influence and just someone he's a massive fan of, massive, massive fan of Bjork. So. Yeah, and he he did a duet with her for um, the Salma Songs soundtrack, um, and their voices are just beautiful together. He also duetted with PJ Harvey. Yes, on, yeah, I think I heard that today. Um, this mess we're in is the track. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just, like, he's a god to me. I never want to meet him in case he's not. <laughs> I'm slightly in awe of Tom York. What's well, your favourite track on this album? You said you slightly lean towards Idiotech, or is there an outlier for you? I, I think, I, I mean, Idiotech, yeah, because, like, full stop, it's just, it's so dancey and glitchy, and, um, but everything in its right place, probably. I think that's got to be in their top three tracks of all time. I would agree wholeheartedly. And what an opener. Yeah, what an opener. Although not in 2001 or whatever it was released. When was it released? October, October 2000, yeah. 2000, yeah. So not in that car park in my mate's car. In <laughs> 2000 it wasn't. But then everything changed. I don't know. What. Do, you, do you think, because I'm the, I'll just take, for example, say like the Arctic Monkeys latest album. When I first listened to it, I was the same as you with Kid A. And I thought that 
this is awful. Sort of, what have they done? Whereas Matt, Matt's complete opposite. And he was like, mate, what are you on about? This is one of the best things I've ever produced. But acres of the loyalty to Arts and Monkeys, I, I guess you had a certain loyalty to Radiohead. You've got to go back and give it another listen. And then, yeah, it, it's funny after three or four, it was great. But after one, it was not your cup of tea. And I funny, so. I, 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 you know, but you also got, I mean, I don't know. The, showing a loyalty to a band can make you feel really good. But, um, you know, if, if, if it's crap, then <laughs> there's no point listening to it. Um, I mean, R2 Monkeys are in- interesting to me because I remember getting hold of, like, like downloading on LimeWire. Remember LimeWire? It was illegal. Yeah. Like, torrent site. Yeah. Like, all their demos, their early demos pre the first album, and just thinking, wow. I, I just think R2 Monkeys are, like, the last great indie guitar band. Agreed. Yeah. I just don't yeah. think there's been anybody since then. No, I agree. And and they're more than an indie guitar band these days, are they? they they've evolved. Oh yeah, yeah. Rock gods. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've done a whole podcast on yeah. the other week, yeah. like an hour and a half, hour and a half, just rambling on about how good that album is. And if you don't want to meet Tom right, York, though. I don't want to meet Alex Turner. But I mean, I don't want to meet Tom York either. So yeah, <laughs> both gods. They're both gods. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Alex Turner's all right. I'm sure. <laughs> the two albums are just incredible. Yeah. Although, although not not in the, uh, the the top three that you picked, have you got a favourite Arctic Monkey song off the top of your head? Uh, Fake Tales of San Francisco. Lyrically, lyrically, it's just I like a bit of humour in my music. I don't like things that are too earnest, which is, which is kind of odd. Saying, I mean, I, I think Tom York is quite funny as well. I think he's quite cheeky, but um, you know, some of those lyrically on that first album, Alex Turner is just really funny. Yeah. And interesting that like another band that come out of, came out of Sheffield was Pulp, and they had a similar kind of humour to them. They did, and um, yeah, big into Richard Hawley as well, actually. Yes, of course, Richard Hawley. Yeah, who made the Long Pigs album with uh, Crispin Hunt? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's my, my Britpop chat. <laughs> <laughs> Go on all night. Yeah, well, Matt, that's that's absolutely wonderful. Um, thank you so much for for coming on and, and sharing your your what would we call them your f- three favorite albums or just My three favorite albums of all time? 